0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander. And as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Central European University in Budapest, Hungary. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus.
1: Good afternoon. Well, Central European University for another month. And then for another month,
0: and then you're back to Johannesburg, and I will be very happy when you go back to Johannesburg, <laughs> because I'm so used to saying and introducing you as being from Johannesburg, so at least for me, I'll be very happy about that. Uh, Kobus, we're going to come revisit a topic that we picked up, I think it was about last year sometime, when we first met Melissa Lefkowitz, who at the time was in a kind of fundraising frenzy to get together enough money to go to Guangzhou in southern China to do a documentary, on the African community and the African population in southern China. Well, lo and behold, here we are nine months later. She and her co-producer, co-director, Dorian Carly-Jones, are with us today to talk about China Remix. Welcome to you both, and congratulations on actually finishing this thing. Thank you. Thank you. Well, back in the day when we first talked to you, uh, you were trying to fundraise, and it was this – this And we take a little bit of pride, just a little bit, that uh, the, the China Africa Project help you push your right over your goal on your Indiegogo project. So we're, we're very proud of that and very proud that you actually finished the project because it really is a very interesting film. So China Remix, ostensibly, is about the kind of African music scene in Guangzhou, but using music as kind of the, the umbrella theme... I was really impressed that you talked about really all of the major touch points when it comes to African life in southern China. And for those of you who are not familiar with Guangzhou, Guangzhou is the capital of Guangdong province in southern China, and it really is the hub of African immigration in all of China. Now, we hear that there are numbers as low as 20,000 immigrants all the way up to 100,000. Um, right. But somewhere in be- the, the number's probably somewhere in between those two, and it's a very fluid number because it's a very fluid population. But I, I guess I want to – let me start with you, Melissa, and just to kind of ask, you know, did you intend for this to be about – all of these issues relating to visa, family, racism, you know, are you a trader? Are you a student? Or did you intentionally want it to be about those broader issues rather than just focus on music alone?
2: Well, um, and first, thank you for having us. And I should also say uh, that because of our podcast interview so many months ago, we did get A lot more interest in the film than we would have otherwise and we got some funders so actually um yeah so i really we need to go
0: out and find some sponsors for the show based on that kind of testimonial
2: (laughs) yeah i really appreciate it uh so to answer your question uh when we spoke the first time um basically we were sort of titling you know the project um land of opportunity uh and we didn't you know guangzhou land of opportunity or something like that And basically, my original um, goal was to just explore the potentially unintended effects of China's economic ascendance kind of over the past 15 to 20 years. Um, And to me, one thing that, you know, really struck me about that uh, was the established nature of Guangzhou, sort of this kind of, I guess, I I don't even know, like, the, the transition of China from becoming sort of an outgoing, you know, um, country to sort of a receiving country. So where people, instead of emigrating out of China, could potentially start immigrating into China. Um, And then kind of beyond that, sort of the effects of the recently implemented exit entry administration law. So I guess going into it, I did have kind of those big picture issues in mind. To answer yeah, and
1: and in which part of the process did did music become part you know part of the theme? I mean, what you know, obviously when we think about Africans in China, we tend we tend to focus on traders. And at the right at the beginning of the film, you know, kind of one of one of your protagonists makes the point that I am you know kind of I am an African and I am living in China, but I'm not a trader. Um, and you know, so so where does the the identity as musicians? When did that came come in?
2: Right. Well, also. I guess the second kind of large facet here is that I um, wrote an article in China Brief in November 2013. And that was kind of a month after sort of the um, sinking of the ship off of Italy. Um, And that that has happened, you know, again, recently, this kind of horrible tragedy. And I basically wanted to sort of go into it trying to diversify the image of Africans to the extent that I could kind of not looking for asylum seekers. And then kind of when I went to Guangzhou, it's like, okay, well, how can I also explore this community without looking at the most dominant group of people? For some reason, I guess I wanted to sort of avoid that. Um, And I guess in order to diversify image of Africans, I thought, all right, well, we met a few musicians. Uh, This actually might be the coolest way to explore the established nature and the complexity of Guangzhou. Um, so Roberto Castillo, uh, who you guys know very well, right? Yeah. Um, yep. He basically, well, I reached out to him before I went out and he gave us the contact information for um, Flame Ramadan, who is one of our subjects, and Ivan Manibu. Um, I, and actually he did give us like trader contacts as well, but those were two of his contacts. And so we met up with them, um, and kind of immediately were drawn to their stories. Um, and also, yeah. And, and I guess we just entered the scene pretty quickly and they welcomed us into it. And it just seemed like there was something there, you know, and it was like, okay, sure. there's something here. Um, I mean, the, I guess the second thing, uh, that is really significant too, is because they're musicians. Um, you know, in their sound, you can sort of hear the ways that they're interacting with China, like through their lyrics. I'm um, talking of Flame Ramadan and uh, one other person, uh, DeVoucho, we cover three people in total. Through their careers, you can kind of see like the way Africans are engaging with Chinese audiences and the way that they're engaging with China. And because they're thinking about Chinese audiences, um, they're actually able to articulate their own experience in China incredibly well. So basically, you know, you meet a lot of people when you go out here and you're like, all right, who can I talk to? Who can I talk to? And you, fi- I found that the musicians were actually the people who were able to articulate their experience kind of most beautifully um, in a way that would speak to audiences. So, yeah.
0: Sure. Now, just to kind of bring everybody up to speed, for those of you not familiar with Roberto Castillo, uh, he's, a, I think, a PhD candidate still out at the Chinese University of Hong Kong and really, you know, far and away is considered to be kind of the preeminent expert on the African population in uh, southern China. And so a lot of people kind of touch to his research. He's got a fantastic Instagram and, uh, and Twitter feed to follow, which I highly recommend. Hey Dorian, let's let, let's kind of touch base a little bit on some of the themes that were picked up uh, that Melissa mentioned, and this idea of the, the the immigrant life in in Guangzhou. And one of the things that the film kind of brings to the front very quickly is the stresses that exist, mm-hmm. and and you hear about the anxiety that people have when it comes to visas and immigration. You hear talking about racism, uh, and also just the 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 the, the The interactions that Africans have in China where, you know, one of your characters, you know, said that when he's on the street, sometimes people put their hand over their nose, implying that, you know, black people smell. And it just creates this kind of pressure. Yet, despite these pressures, almost, I mean, all of your characters said they wanted to stay. They, They really enjoyed African life. I mean, Chinese life. And they even said several of your characters said it's better in China than it is back home. And I just think it was interesting the juxtaposition of those two pressures. And then tell me a little bit about what your takeaway from from African immigrant life in Guangzhou was.
3: Well, um, I mean, you 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 put it pretty well in that like uh, basically it's a, it's a matter of like um, in the end which which is better like. In, as one of our characters, Flame Ramadan, says, like, life is good in China. Um, when, you compare, when you compare it like, to his home country in Nigeria and what his experiences were there, um, China's, in, in general, much safer from what I gathered and have, like, uh, electricity and, like, running water. And um, just, like, kind of, like, the bare necessities of life are easier to come by. Uh, in china um, it's uh, more developed as uh, as near as I could tell um, listening to them um, despite of course the the, the racial problems and uh, and everything which is which one, one of the big things that fascinated me was like how much uh, media uh, perpetuates the basically the racial stereotypes of Africans and blacks in general in China um and specifically American media um Yeah but I
0: like, mean that's not I was about to say that's not a Chinese thing that that's a, a really a an, an American if not a global phenomenon.
3: Yes exactly but uh what what amazed me was how much uh, it affects the Chinese and their view of of Africans of course they have their um the, their own like you know CCTV and like their own like propaganda machine that is uh, perpetuating those same stereotypes as well, and it's kind of like a one-two punch of like the Chinese media, um, like basically you know saying like you know Africa is just it's poor, it's the it's the lowest, it's the lowest of the low, and uh, all these Africans are only causing problems and everything combined with uh, poor representation in like Hollywood films and uh, American media as well.
1: One of the, well, you know, speaking about, uh, you know, c- continuing on that theme, one of the scenes that I found particularly interesting was uh, you at some, uh, you managed to get into a Victoria's Secret event. Um And, yes. the, and you, well one, where one of your musicians was was working as a rapper, you know, kind of at, at the event. And then also he, you show him backstage talking with these Ukrainian models um, <laughs> in their angel wings, you know, kind of, and then, you know, kind of, and then having this kind of interesting situation where he kind of assumes that they're Russian and then they know they insist no they're actually not, you know. So yeah, yeah, you, you get okay. this interesting glimpse of China as this kind of wide world of immigration, you know, kind yes. of all of all of these people coming from different places. Um is is that uh you know kind of to, to which extent do you feel that the African immigrant experience was was particularly African and to which extent does it fit into a wider immigrant experience in China?
2: Okay. That's a really great question. When I you know, lived in Beijing in 2009. I lived in a foreigner dorm, um, Beijing, Jiaotong University. And Africans were just one, you know, subgroup of students uh, out of, you know, many, many students from many, many, many different countries, um, you know, from, you know, both areas like Ukraine and areas like Nigeria and then also Italy, and the U.S., um, Brazil, Chile. So I guess my kind of personal experience has mostly been sort of in a student setting. Um, And then going to Guangzhou, I guess, you know, it's just pretty much, it is really dominated, I would say, (coughs) by African populations. But that's a really great question. You know, there really aren't great numbers on China's immigration or foreigner population, there was a census taken in 2010, um, said, you know, there are 524,000 foreigners living in China, but I think people would all agree that that is an inaccurate number. Um, and as you guys know, yeah, uh, they're just people coming from so many different industries, um, to China. So a lot of people are there for work. And I think, so then you sort of have to sort of parse it from there. Because I really think when you talk about an immigration population, you're talking about people who may be moving there to settle there. And I guess I just feel like Africans are the largest population of, I guess, immigrants who are looking to settle there. But it is interesting, sort of, that post-Soviet kind of, I don't even know, um, kind of Baltics region, Balkans region, sort of influx into China as well. I would be really interested to know kind of how large that population is.
0: Well, I mean, it's particularly, you know, when it comes to 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 young women, um, the prostitution of in, in in China for Russian Eastern European uh, is quite high. Uh, yeah. Particularly started in Macau, and so the first thing that I saw, and again, I didn't, I don't mean to think ill on on these young women, was that coming from Eastern Europe in a place like China, they are part of something more illicit.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and
0: that often is the way it is. In fact, there was, a, you know, and so so the, the immigration gets even more murky when you look at kind of the underground plus the people who are above board or trying to kind of make a living legitimately. Uh, but Eastern European women oftentimes in China, as in Japan, um, do are often involved, particularly young women in, in the sex trade. And that's you yeah. know, that, that's the one of the grimmer sides of it all. Let me, let me just kind of start to, to wrap up. And, you know, Dorian, when I was kind of watching this, I was trying to think about what is the point that you were trying to make? What was the, and, and again, not in a negative way, but what was your objective with this movie that you really wanted to convey, particularly to people who may not be familiar? With the topic of the of Africans in China and the relationship between the two, because there were so many different messages that kind of came through from music again to the immigration issues and whatnot. What what what's the main kind of point that you want people to take away from China Remix?
3: I mean, just simple awareness, really. Um, <clears throat> when I would mention to people that this was the the topic of the documentary we were working on, they would like give. Give me a look of shock! Like, what? What are you talking about? That's a thing, and so people really aren't aware that this is a phenomenon that's happening. That there are Africans in China at all. Like, it has never. Certainly, most Americans, it has never occurred to them. Um, and so, at least for me, my main purpose was just like getting the word out that this is a thing that's happening, and. This is what their lives are like and uh, these are their their goals and like get a, a glimpse, an introduction to their world, basically, because it really we really only really touched upon the surface of the uh, Africans in China, in Guangzhou. So to me, that was like the main the main ob- the main objective.
0: And Melissa, let me get let me ask you the same question for a final kind of thought on what you were trying to achieve with the film.
2: Yeah, so I guess uh, Dorian and I were chatting a little bit last night over sort of what is the best way to describe the film. And I think so kind of what we came up with was a multi-layered introduction. (laughs) So I guess I was just trying (laughs) to show the multifaceted kind of nature of this place. And not that um, media has gotten it wrong in any way, shape, or form. But I think, you know, between 2009 and I would say... Maybe even 2013 before, you know. There are a lot of there. I think Roberto told me he thinks there are like six documentaries right now being made about this space, Um, (laughs) (laughs) like currently right this moment. That it it was really mostly about the trader. Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Um,
2: About the trader scene. um, That it was really about this sort of like the itinerant sort of makeup of this group of people that they're kind of peripatetic. They're kind of, they're just traveling there and they're leaving. Um, And it's really coming to light that they're not really necessarily going anywhere. And, you know, we don't really know what will come in the future because of, you know, the the regulations in place and, you know, kind of zero tolerance toward overstayers and kind of zero tolerance toward um, kind of, you know, the, the three illegals, three, you know, San Fe, Illegally entering, illegally staying, illegally working. Um, So there are a lot of barriers to entry um, with regard to, you know, Guangzhou. But I'm interested in sort of the future. So I guess it's kind of a glimpse into what the future of this population could potentially look like.
0: Well, the movie is China Remix. Uh, co producers, co directors, Melissa Lefkowitz and Dorian Carly Jones are the kind of brains behind it. And if people are interested in watching it, now we got a private screening on Vimeo, but when uh, or how will people be able to, to watch this masterpiece of yours?
3: Yeah, they can check out our website, ChinaremixMovie.com, for uh, upcoming screenings. We're currently uh, in the process of scheduling various screenings around the world. Our next one coming up, we've got one on Wednesday in Nairobi, Kenya, and then on Thursday in New York City. Wow. I'd be fascinated to see the response out of Nairobi.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: but, and if people want to stay on top of what you guys are doing besides the website, uh, are, there, are there Twitter handles or Facebook that they can follow you on?
2: Uh, yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at Sinofei. Uh, S-I-N-O, Why don't you spell F-E-I? that for
0: <coughs> Sorry, uh, I like that. That's really cool. I should. And Faye, explain the Fei for people who may not uh, be fluent in Mandarin.
2: Oh, uh, Feijo to Fe. So basically, in Chinese, um, Africa is Feijo. Um, so yeah, the F E I sort of stands for the African Very component cool. of my interests.
0: Nice. And Dorian, is there anywhere people can follow you?
3: Yes. Yes. I'm on Twitter at Dorian World. D O R I A N World. Excellent. And uh,
0: Kobus, we all know where you are. You're over at Stadnes. Go ahead and spell that and tell us how we can follow you.
1: That's um, S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E on Twitter. And you can also find me on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash China Africa Project, where we update we- about 24 hours a day.
0: Yeah, we've got about a quarter of a million people who are following us on Facebook. We also have a new brand new newsletter. Actually, Kovas, I got to stop saying that. It's not brand new anymore, <laughs> but it feels that way because I'm so excited about it. It's a newsletter that we publish out every Monday with, you know, a handful of curated Top China Africa stories, so if you'd like to sign up for that, just head over to our website at chinaafricaproject.com and you 'll find our newsletter there and Of course, if you want to follow this podcast, best way to do it, head over to iTunes, look for China Africa project, and uh, you'll find us right there and so you can then uh, also give us a comment, give us a stars we will really appreciate all the feedback we can get and finally if uh, if you're a China file expert or a China file fan that is, the Asia society has a fantastic website at chinafile. C-H-I-N-A-F-I-L-E.com. You can listen to our podcast there as well as get some fantastic uh, China news every day. So until next time, we'll be back with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening.